Hey, faithful listener. Thanks for tuning in to the P40 Ministries daily podcast. This podcast is dedicated to helping you grow spiritually so you can grow personally. Let's grow together by building a consistent Bible reading routine. This is Jen, your host, and today we will be discussing the book of Exodus. Happy hump day, friends and faithful listeners, and welcome to the P40 Ministries podcast with your host, Jen, who happens to be myself. Thank you for coming on the podcast this morning to share a cup of coffee or a cup of tea with me and to listen to the Bible because we are all faithfully listening to the Bible, including myself. Now, I finally have coffee again. Uh, Last time you heard, I was drinking tea because I didn't have any coffee And I was very sad (laughs) because tea is not good. I just don't like it. But (laughs) I need to drink something hot in the morning and it can't be hot chocolate. I remember when I was a kid, like things would not bother my stomach in the morning. But now I have to be really, really careful what I eat in the morning. And I remember one time I was in college and one of the professors, um, I remember we made like this big old thing of buffalo dip. And I'm serious. My class started at like seven in the morning. And my teacher was young. She was only 25 years old. And, uh, you know, we were all eating this buffalo dip at like seven in the morning. And one of the other professors came in and he's just like, how can you guys eat that so early in the morning? And we were like, come on, have some. And he's just like, no, I'm not eating that. I'm going to get sick if I eat that in the morning. And we were all just like, what do you mean? How do you get sick eating stuff in the morning? And he's just like, just wait. When you get older, you'll understand. So now this year, I swear it's been this year, I have to be really, really careful what I eat in the morning because it really does upset my stomach. And I just remember that story, which happened probably like 10 years ago. And I laugh at it now because I do actually understand now. (laughs) I don't know where I was going with that. I'm sorry. Let's read the Bible. We're going to be talking about Exodus chapter 28, verses 31 through uh, 43 today. As I always do, I'll be reading out the W.E.B. version of the Bible. You shall make the robe of the ephod all of blue, and it shall have a hole for the head in the middle of it. It shall have binding of woven work around the hole, as it were the hole of a coat of mail, that it may not be torn. On its hem you shall make pomegranates of blue and of purple and of scarlet, all around its hem, with bells of gold between and around them. A golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate, around the hem of the robe, and it shall be on Aaron to minister. And its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before Yahweh, and when he comes out, that he not die. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engravings of a signet, holy to Yahweh. And you shall put it on a lace of blue, and it shall be on the sash. And you shall put it on the front of the sash. And it shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel shall make holy in all their holy gifts. And it shall be always on his forehead that they may be accepted before Yahweh. You shall weave the tunic with fine linen, and you shall make the turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash, the work of the embroiderer. You shall make tunics for Aaron's sons, and you shall make sashes for them. You shall make headbands for them, for glory and for beauty. You shall put them on Aaron your brother, 
and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them, and consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me in the priest's office. You shall make them linen pants to cover their naked flesh, and they shall reach from the waist even to the thighs, and they shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near to the altar to minister in the holy place, that they don't bear iniquity and die. This shall be a statute forever to him and to his offspring after him. This is the part where God is telling his priests to wear underwear. (laughs) Okay, anyway, so in verse 31, God is talking once again about this ephod, which would be like a, basically like an apron that Aaron would wear. Now, this was going to be a really beautiful apron. You know, it was going to be made of all these different beautiful colors that kings would wear. But now in verses 31 and 32, it's actually supposed to be completely without, um, without seams it's supposed to be seamless almost like a coat of mail and if you guys I don't know if you guys know what a coat of mail is it's like a chain mail I think I guess I remember I had a there was a kid in my high school and uh, his dad made chain mail (laughs) it was kind of interesting but I remember seeing it and thinking like oh that's kind of weird but um it, it was seamless you know it was like a piece of chain mail it went all the way around so God is saying in order so that this ephod does not rip It shouldn't have any seams in it. It should be just woven together like one seamless piece of material and it should have an opening for it that the head can fit through. And then it talks about this hem that it was supposed to have and it was supposed to be made of pomegranates of blue and of purple and of scarlet all around the hem with bells of gold between and around them. So people aren't really sure whether or not these pomegranates were kind of like little balls of pomegranates like hanging off the hem or if they were embroidered on the hem they aren't actually sure from what it sounds like to me I'm guessing the pomegranates were kind of hanging off the hem like little uh beads almost is what it kind of sounds like to me but they're supposed to be very nice looking pomegranates and they're supposed to be made of different colors of thread which would be blue purple and scarlet so literally this entire outfit Aaron is wearing is made of blue purple scarlet and gold which were all the fancy colors back then it was the colors of royalty but going back to this hem there is going to be these balls of pomegranates like almost like a charm it kind of just sounds like a charm to me like a charm bracelet you can get like different charms it sounds to me like he had charms hanging around this hem of this ephod so One would be a pomegranate, then one would be a bell, and then one would be a pomegranate, and then another one would be a bell. So these bells were supposed to be real bells, not just like embroidery or anything like that. These were supposed to be real golden bells, I'm pretty sure. And the bells were there for a very specific reason. This was so that the priest, or the high priest, I should say, would always be making noise as he moved. So the bells would be clinking as he's moving around and the people outside of the most holy place would know if Aaron was still alive or not that I'm not even joking that was that was the reason for these bells on the ephod now why would Aaron possibly die because if he's not doing things the right way before God he could possibly die. God could possibly strike him dead. And, you know, we see stuff like that and we're just like, oh, God is so mean. God of the Old Testament is just so cruel and so mean. He strikes people dead all the time. But I think the biggest thing about this is that the people were supposed to fear God. All throughout the Old Testament, it talks about fearing God. And 
these bells on Aaron's garment were supposed to signify that, you know, as he moved around, he was hearing them. He himself was hearing them and thinking, I better do my job the right way because I don't want these bells to stop ringing. Because <laughs> if he dies, obviously the bells are going to stop ringing. So it was important for Aaron and for everybody around Aaron to actually hear these bells to know that they needed to do their job the right way. They needed to fear God and who God was. Because we've seen several times throughout Exodus already where God is saying, don't do this or you will die. For example, don't go and touch the mountain where God lives on, otherwise you will die. Don't enter into the most holy place if you're not the high priest, otherwise you will die. Wherever God's presence is, it's so intense, it's so powerful that people kind of just drop down as dead. I mean, we've seen uh, the power of God displayed in the past with his presence. You know, when he came to his, his people in the sky, talking to them about the Ten Commandments, the people were so afraid to hear God's voice, they were truly believing they were going to die. That's just how powerful God is. I've explained in the past about how God is like the sun. I've gotten, I got that from um, the Bible Project, actually. God is like the sun in the fact that he is powerful, he is wonderful, he is good, you know, the sun's good, it produces light for us, it does all sorts of stuff, but as the closer we get to it, it will burn us up. So that is basically how God is. So in order for God to live with his people, because he wanted to from the very, very beginning of time, he created earth so that he could live with his people, in order for God to effectively live with his people, the people had to do certain things to make sure that they weren't just going to die in God's presence because God was so powerful. So this is what God's doing. He's protecting his people by doing these measures and saying, make sure that you're doing these the right way so that I can live with you. And here's the thing. It wasn't just so that God could live with them, but God's presence was actually going to bless the entire nation of Israel. So it wasn't just for God's benefit, if that's something you want to um, argue about. It was for everybody's benefit that God was there. God's presence was going to protect his people so much that it was going to protect them from disease, from miscarriages, from infertility, from from wars, from everything, from poorness, basically. It was going to protect his people. God's presence was so powerful and it would benefit everybody. It wasn't even really probably for God's benefit other than the fact that he loves his creation and just wants to be near them. It wasn't for God's benefit at all. At all. It was for the people who lived in the camp of the Israelites to be blessed by having God literally live with them. I mean, how cool is that if you think about that? So the people were meant to fear God. That was the point of all of this. In fact, it says in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in Proverbs, that the fear of God is a fountain of life. I mean, think about that verse. The fear of God is a fountain of life. If we fear God in the right way, in the way that he requires us to fear him, it's a fountain of life for us. And this was not the same kind of fear that other gods of this time period required of their people, if that makes sense. Though these, these gods, we, we know, were all created by man. It was not to that same kind of fear. You know, the people, the Canaanite people, 
that surrounded the Israelites and the Egyptian people feared their little g-gods so much that they brought them sacrifices and offerings and would sacrifice human beings to save themselves and, and just do all sorts of crazy things because they feared their little g-gods. They were so scared of them and they kept doing all these things to make sure that their gods would continue to bless them and bless them and bless them. But yet when God requires these things, much easier things than other little g-gods, the people get angry. You know, they don't want to hear this stuff. They don't want to hear that God has requirements for people, that there's a set of rules in place. You know, everybody wants to do whatever they want to do. So people get upset about this. But I'm kind of going off um, off on a rabbit trail here. But anyway, my point is people were meant to fear God. These bells were put into place so that Aaron and the other priests would hear these bells and be like, okay, we need to do things the right way so that we don't either make God angry or that we don't fall into sin and God's presence destroys us. We can't do that. The priests were meant to be holy before God. And I was actually reading a really, really fantastic blog post written by Liz Wan for Desiring God. And it was a fantastic article called Always Good, Never Safe. So the point of this article, the author says that God is always good, never safe. And that is taken directly from uh, C.S. Lewis from the Chronicles of Narnia, where the lion is described as always good, but never safe, if that makes sense. So let me just read a little snippet of this article here. Um, Okay, so it says here, seven weeks after this great deliverance, these newly freed slaves were preparing to be in God's presence at the foot of Mount Sinai, which is what we just discussed. And God instructed Moses to set limits around the mountain so that the people would not go up on it lest they die. He showed himself to his people descending upon the mountain in fire and enveloping it in smoke. And there was also a thick cloud on the mountain with shots of lightning, peals of thunder, and a loud trumpet blast. And the people initially trembled, but their fear did not last. God does not reveal himself to his people in the same way anymore. On account of this, we tend to imagine that if God could do this for us today, then we would believe and fear him rightly. We might even think it was easier for the Israelites to fear the Lord because they saw so much of his power and might and because they witnessed death as the consequence for disobedience. But as we read the rest of the Old Testament, we see that the people of Israel continually forget their deliverer and suffer from chronic unbelief. They believe the lie that God abandoned them, so they erect a golden calf in his place, which we haven't talked about yet. The Israelites constantly complained, believing the lie that bondage in Egypt was better than freedom in the desert. And they didn't believe God when he promised that he would give them the promised land, so they refused to fight for Canaan. Though a few believed the Lord and feared his name, it is clear in scripture that much of Israel did not fear him. Though they saw everything he had done for them, what were the Israelites missing? Why did they not believe about God? Why did they not believe in God? The Israelites were intimately acquainted with the concept of God not being safe, but they didn't believe he was good. The root of their unbelief and of our unbelief is a lack of trust in God's goodness. In all the examples listed above, Israel believed their way was better than God's, that their own sense of goodness was better than God's goodness. The other nations surrounding Israel had crafted gods of their own who were not perceived as safe. They feared punishment from their gods, so they made sacrifices and followed strict rules and traditions. But the God of Israel, the true God, was not looking for this type of fear, but a fear birthed out of the knowledge of his character. 
God is big, scary, and powerful, but unlike the other gods of the nations, God is also lowly, humble, and compassionate, loving, forbearing, and personal. The Israelites were meant to fear their God differently than the other nations. They had to believe he was good. So that's the thing here. Even though God gives the people all these different regulations that they had to do, it was so that they could fear God and thus have a relationship with God. In the same way that a child fears their father's punishment, if that makes sense. God always was saying that he was the father of the Israelite nation. And so they had to fear God in this kind of father and uh, kid relationship. And once they were able to do that, they would see how loving God really was, how merciful he was, and how he was always forgiving them, always loving them, always compassionate towards them, always blessing them as a father would bless his kids. And thus that relationship would start to grow as the people understand that God was somebody that was to be both feared, but also loved, and that he loved his people as well, if that makes sense. So if these bells on Aaron's ephod stopped moving, the people would know that Aaron had done something wrong. He had not kept up his end of the bargain. Now moving forward here, it says here that um, there was supposed to be like a forehead thing that says holy to Yahweh, and it was supposed to be attached to this turban and like this crown kind of that Aaron was supposed to be wearing when he ministered to the people. And it says that this was supposed to be worn all the time, basically. And uh, Aaron would bear the iniquity of the holy things, which the children of Israel shall make holy in all their holy gifts. So this was a sign that Aaron, the high priest, was making the gifts that the people brought to God holy. Aaron was supposed to be the one that literally purified the gifts the people brought, in a sense. Kind of like how um, I think kosher food nowadays is like, blessed by a priest and made holy for the people, I think. I think that's how it works. But that's kind of the concept of all of this was the people were sinners, as God knew. (laughs) When the people brought their offerings to God, those offerings would be impure. Then the high priest would have to go and bless those offerings and would make the offerings holy so that God could accept them as holy offerings. And God could also accept Aaron as the high priest, and then the people um, would be forgiven. So then after this, it talks about making tunics for Aaron's sons, because Aaron's sons were all supposed to be priests, but Aaron was supposed to be the high priest, the only one that was allowed to enter into the most holy place, I believe, once a year on the Day of Atonement. But um, the then it talks a little bit about these tunics that were supposed to be made for the other priests. They were supposed to be beautiful, not quite as ornate as... Aaron's stuff but quite ornate in in their own sense but the last and funny thing that I mentioned at the beginning here is that every single one of the priests were supposed to be wearing underwear (laughs) God did not want to see any testicles in his uh in his area (laughs) and uh yeah so God says to have Aaron and all the high priests Whenever they go into the tent of meeting, they had to wear underwear. There was no exception. They had to wear underwear to cover their uh, parts. Basically, the high priests and uh, the priests, Aaron's sons, were supposed to wear underwear because nakedness now is a term for sin. Though God originally made people naked in the garden, 
that was a sign of innocence. The people didn't know they were naked. But once they knew they were naked, they uh, kind of ruined themselves a little bit and uh, that nakedness became a sign of sin. So now Aaron and his sons have to cover up that nakedness in order to go into the living place of God, which makes total sense because when we have a guest come over, we don't want to be naked in front of them. That would be humiliating. That would be awful. So God is saying, you know, I am holy. I want you to be covered in my presence. And so that was the point of the underwear here. So, and it says that this was supposed to be um, a statute forever to him and to his offspring after him. So that means that all high priests from the time of Aaron until the time of Jesus were supposed to wear underwear. <laughs> no commando in God's holy temple. But anyway, friends and faithful listeners, this was Exodus chapter 28, verses 31 through 43. I think we had some good discussion out of this today, and it didn't quite go where I thought it was going to go, actually. Um one thing I, I was starting to get nervous about was uh, just kind of repeating the same thing over and over and over again about, um, you know, because we've been talking about the ephod for a couple days now. But, you know, there's just so much symbolism in here. And uh, it's just it's fascinating to look at this stuff and really talk about it and uh, not just look at it as, you know, we're making an ephod here. But what's the symbolism behind this ephod? Why are there pomegranates on it? Oh, by the way, I didn't actually answer that question. The pomegranates symbolized fruitfulness. So the bells were supposed to be for remembrance of God's holiness and doing your job the right way. And the pomegranates were supposed to be a symbol of the priest's basically bearing the fruit of the people. Bearing fruit means like growing in personal faith. So the, the priest himself was supposed to bear that kind of fruit for the people and to help their faith to grow, if that makes sense. So sorry, I didn't answer that question. I forgot about the pomegranates. But um, yeah, so this was an interesting discussion, I think. And if you liked it, please rate it five stars on wherever you are listening from and also share it on your social media platforms. I think it's important, you know, this is a completely biblical podcast. And I do my best to keep it very biblical. And even the guests I have on, I am very, very picky about the guests that I bring on the podcast because I want to make sure that their views line up with um, with what we're talking about. So I am trying very hard to bring you guys the Bible in the most accurate way I possibly can. So I do believe it's important to grow the podcast. And if you like the podcast, if it is touching you in some way, if it is adding to your life, help it grow. Now, friends, if you know any pastors that you think would be a good fit for this podcast, send them uh, my information and I will possibly interview them and see if they are a good fit for the podcast and maybe have them on and he'll get to hear your pastor on the P40 Ministries podcast, which I think would be kind of cool. But friends and faithful listeners, have a wonderful rest of your day. Oh, and by the way, I'll drop a link to that Desiring God article so you can read the whole thing in the bio of this podcast episode. But anyway, friends and faithful listeners, have a fantastic rest of your day. Happy listening and God bless.